and gentlemen, start your engines. Welcome to the George Sanders 500, uh, the Speedway episode dedicated to all things automotive. Uh, we're going to circle the track. We're going to talk in circles. We're going to do all the stuff that we do on this show. And it's going to be probably just as annoying as NASCAR, um, <laughs> I think. Uh, we're tying in this week with the, the wide release of uh, the latest Fast and Furious movie. Fat, it was, it, Fat, Furious 7 is the official title. Is that right, Sean? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Furious 7. Yeah, it was Fast um, 5 and then Furious 6 and now Furious 7. I, I gotta say, I haven't seen any of those movies. Hmm. I got I gotta I gotta give them credit for how many different times they've changed like the the series name from movie to movie. It's very confusing. <laughs> well, there's there's definitely been an emphasis on more furious and less fast as they've gone along. Right, but wasn't the first one the Fast and the Furious, and then like one was called yes. just Fast and Furious? Yes. See, that's awesome. I think that's great. Yes. No. No concerns about continuity from titles anyway so we're not going to talk about fast and furious seven or furious seven well you might talk about it who knows we'll see what happens uh but we're going to talk about two films that revolve around cars and and the racing of them uh 1990s days of thunder starring tom cruise and directed by tony scott and 1965's Redline 7000 from uh, director Howard Hawks. Uh, and this will usher Howard Hawks into the hallowed halls of the George Sanders show because this is the second Howard Hawks film we'll be talking about on the show. And there's only one other director. Yes, uh, Howard, Howard Hawks joining the illustrious likes of Mr. H.C. Potter. <laughs> right, as, as a two-timer. <laughs> two-timer on the George Sanders show. Um, so congratulations, Mr. Hawks. I know you've been waiting to get in into that uh, pantheon there. Well, he was easily our most played director back when we were doing our uh, our repertory series. Oh, absolutely! Didn't we? Didn't we play like nine Howard Hawks movies over five years or something ridiculous? Well, and that's the thing. So I'm currently doing a Western series at the library, uh, which I talked about uh, briefly at the end of the last show, uh, many, 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 many moons ago. But uh, which, by the way, it's totally tanking. No one's coming. It sucks. But uh, oh. I know it's weird. I was like, I did two series last year. I did a Alfred Hitchcock series and then like a Hollywood genre series, and we got like 35, 40 people a, a night. Wow. And Westerns were getting. Uh, we got nine for the first show for um, uh, Destry Rides Again, and then we ran Ford Apache on Monday, and we got five people. Which oh, is, yeah. Seat- What's up with that's that? Seattle, man. I don't know what's it's, going it's on. It's Seattle. They're... Yeah. But anyway, my next plan, if they're still going to let me have the reins of this program, if I haven't <laughs> driven it into the ground, uh, is I want to just do a Howard Hawks series for like 20 weeks and just run like every Howard Hawks movie or almost every Howard Hawks movie um, that I can. Yeah, but, you need so... a lot more than just 20 nights to do that. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't show Redline 7000, I'll tell you. <laughs> mm. But we'll talk about that as we go on with the show. Um, anyway, so what else are we going to do? We're going to talk about what Sean's watching, which we haven't done in a while. Tom Cruise, uh, star of Days of Thunder, is our person of the week, person of the episode, as it were. Uh, and we'll pick our essential car movies. Um, and I think that's about it. It's been five weeks now since we've recorded this show. Um, and you'd think we'd have, like, tons of stuff to talk about, but... <laughs> not not really, no. No. Nope. <laughs> Except for baseball. We can talk about baseball until the cows come home. But 
we did that once and I think we lost like a hundred thousand listeners. So, <laughs> um, let's get underway here at the speedway, uh, with a clip from Tony Scott's days of thunder. Hold on a minute. Don't you think we ought to talk What about how I'm going to run? Sure. About how you've managed to live as long as you have. Think you can drive? Well, we can drive. He can drive beyond the limits of the tires, the engine, the car, anything else. There's nothing I can't do with the race car. <laughs> well, that's the difference between you and me. There's only so much I can do. You want me to work the pit and you drive? Good. Thank you. And we'll see how you do in the crowd. I was desperate to get your attention. You got it. I've walked into a jungle. Come up here and do it. I'll take you to race. Really, I can't. I'm a doctor. I'm cool. Think you drive and can't improve? I'll take your word for what a car can do, but I'm not taking anybody's word for what I can do. I don't want you to hold a bad opinion of Cole. I believe it scares him. He needs reassurance from you that he's okay. After all, uh... How could you ignore me like that? I wasn't ignoring you. You're his doctor. His driver gets his bell rung and a couple of lights blink. And loses what he needs more than his eyesight, more than his reflexes, more than anything in the world. I've raced with my legs broke, heart bruised, eyes popping out of my head like they're on springs. He loses his need. The need to drive right out there on the ragged edge. He doesn't believe you can drive anymore. How long before you find out? If you're really good. You just want to race again. Well, you're really lucky. You get back in that car and you'll die. Tom was a race car driver. He drove so goddamn fast. He never did window checkered flags, but he never did come in last. Tom was a race car driver. He'd say El Sob number one with a Bosifa sticker on his 442 while he'd light him up just for fun. Oh, wait, that's not the plot of Days of Thunder. That's a Primus song. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I screwed that one up, everybody. Uh, Days of Thunder. <laughs> By the way, I could have made you play during our breaks today. Primus, and you're lucky that I did not do that. Uh, everybody out there, I'm, I'm pointing my finger at everybody that's listening to the show and saying, you got off easy, people. You will not be hearing any Primus this week on the show. <laughs> I, I thank you for that. Yeah. I used to love Primus. I bet uh, you did. I did. I, I, there, there was like nine months, maybe a year, um, where I was like heavily heavily into primus but now when i and then i i kind of stopped listening to them for like 15 years and there's some stuff that i go back to and i you know i'm like oh i still love this music you know we ran atari teenage ride a couple weeks ago which is kind of funny um but uh primus i listen to it now and i like i hear it with different ears and i'm like this is terrible <laughs> i mean this is really there's a couple songs that i think are still really good but for the most part i'm like this is this is a god-awful mess here um, and I, you know, hindsight 2020, I guess, but, uh, man, when I was 15, 16, oh man, couldn't, couldn't beat tails from the punch bowl. Anyway, uh, 
back in 1990, Tom Cruise... Uh, was the biggest star in the world. He's still the biggest star in the world. It's crazy. We'll talk about that later in a minute, too. But uh, came out with this movie, Days of Thunder. Uh, little interesting note. Do you know, do you know in, in, in terms of Tom Cruise's filmography, the interesting note about Days of Thunder, Sean? No. Days of Thunder is the only film that Tom Cruise has a writing credit for in his entire you know what? He's been an actor, a successful actor for three decades now. Yeah, and that, made, only, that makes sense. Yeah, he uh, he didn't write the movie, but he uh, he's responsible for the story. He's got the story credit for this one. Yeah, well, um, the the co-story credit with with Robert Town. That's correct. Um, so this this was kind of a labor of love there for Mr. Tom Cruise. And, yeah, I, I you know I have the the I have the feeling that that Cruise's role in writing it basically amounted to. Hey Robert, let's make a car racing movie in which I play a race car driver that, and I'm like the character I play in every other movie I'm in. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and Robert's like, sure, why not? Totally. <laughs> That'll make money. <laughs> uh, and that's basically the plot of the movie. You just did it for me. Thanks for doing the setup for me. Uh, Tom Cruise comes out of nowhere on a motorcycle. Um, comes out of the smoke. He comes out of the smoke. Uh, <laughs> Robert Duvall plays a, you know, grizzled NASCAR vet who uh, retired uh, a year previous because of a, of an accident or a death that was on the track. Um, and he, instead of going through an investigation into the, the questionable death, he retired and decided to be a farmer. And he gets pulled back in uh, when Randy Quaid, of all people, uh, tells him he's going to start his own stock car crew and he wants uh, Robert Duvall to be the crew chief and he's got this hotshot kid named Cole Trickle, which, by the way, funniest name in the world, Cole Trickle. All of, um, all of the names in this film are hilarious. They're pretty good. Rowdy Burns. Then they sound exactly like actual NASCAR drivers, so it's, it's pretty perfect. Right. <laughs> Buck Bretherton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and so Tom Cruise... Uh, comes out of nowhere everybody's like this kid can't drive and then tom cruise gets in the car and like totally blows everybody out of the water um and then they race cars and then nicole kidman shows up as a uh pretty doctor and we we can go from there we'll, we'll dive into to more of the plot specifics uh i think further on in our discussion because i think there, there there's some fine points that we can talk about in terms of the plot of this film well, yeah, I mean, it 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 does follow the the formula, but I, I I do think it is kind of interesting in the way that it deviates from that. So I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. So <laughs> let me give you my perspective on this movie. Uh, I fucking hated this movie for like the first hour. Like I really was like, I can't wait for this to be over. This is terrible. Like. None of the characters are believable. I'm not. None of them are interesting. The you know the very the, you know Tony Scott um, is kind of uh, you know in in the last several years has kind of been heralded as this you know auteur you know contemporary auteur. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, uh, you know, but but there's also that line of thought of like all the criticisms towards Tony Scott, like his edits don't make much sense. They're very jarring and and um, it is his characterizations and stuff are very uh, limp or, or thin. Uh, and anyway, the first half of this movie, I was like, this is excruciating. Like, I can't stand this. Um, 
I was not connecting to any of it. But then this movie gets really weird and, <laughs> and really goofy. And from the moment when uh, Tom Cruise um, races Michael Rooker on wheelchairs through a hospital, mm -hmm. uh, I was I was on board with this movie uh, pretty much till the end. Uh, and I actually came around and, and actually <laughs> kind of responded to Days of Thunder in a totally goofy this movie's just absolutely bananas, uh, bananas, uh, kind of sensibility. Um, but it's a lot of fun if you get on its wavelength. What, how do you feel about it, Sean? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's really interesting. I don't know that it's actually any good. Oh, no, um, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know that it's t terrible either. Like it's not, I don't know. It's 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 very odd. It's it's uh, this is it's not odd. one of my favorite Tony Scott movies. It this, might it might be my least favorite Tony Scott movie. This is a you know I I don't watch movies you know um, I mean I I'm a huge fan of Mr. Science Theater three thousand and stuff and sure um, but I don't watch movies to make fun of them. I really mm -hmm. don't like I I don't like you know I just watched Alligator the other day uh, Louis Teague's film from nineteen eighty. And I had a blast with that movie. It was super fun. And it wasn't in an ironic sort of way. That movie is really, really good and really, really fun. Days of Thunder, while I'm not like poking fun at it, um, when I when I realized, oh, this is just totally ridiculous and everybody in this movie, like it's just like there's a chase sequence that comes. The best the best chase sequences in this movie, uh, none of them are the actual NASCAR races. There's the wheelchair race. And then there's there's this great scene where Michael Rooker and Tom Cruise, when they get released from the hospital, they're tasked with riding in a car together, like a mm -hmm. just a regular sedan to a, a, a dinner, like a fancy dinner together. Um, and they're very competitive between the two of them. Um, but instead, Michael Rooker takes them to a, a rental car place and they rent like Ford Tauruses and then they drive. They go this crazy car chase through like downtown streets and then suddenly end up driving on a beach for some reason, like in the ocean. Sure. Um, and so by that, that, that point, that is what men do. That's what, what that's what we do. That's 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 the pissing contests that men do. And mm -hmm. so by that point, I'm like, this is clearly not a good movie because this is just so incredibly stupid. But it's a it's a fun time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in its in its like in its plotting, it's dumb. Mm -hmm. But psychologically, I think it's really interesting and, and really, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say like meaningful, but I think it, it's very unusual in the way that it, that it characterizes all of the, the men in this film because it doesn't really valorize them in the way that other Tom Cruise films do. And something like, like Top Gun, uh, I think this, this, shows much more kind of nuance in in the Tom Cruise character and and has some like really interesting insights I think about the these these kind of men and and basically it's that every single man in this film is just terrified mm -hmm. and and fear is is the dominant sensation like everything they do like so you know and and it's a very blunt irony like they they do this like like a, a horrifying activity where they're racing these cars at at inhuman 
speeds and and you know it causes them massive injuries but they do it out of fear mm -hmm. which is which is uh is something that that i don't think any other tom cruise film has really kind of explored like you know you you expect him to have a, a daddy issue of some type and there's you know early in the film there's like a faint in that direction but it turns out to not be what's actually motivating him like he's not trying to prove himself better or different from his father like he is in top gun mm -hmm. or he's not trying to like overtake the father like he is in in the color of money he his he's just a, a you know afraid of life yes uh and 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 Michael Rucker is the same way. Like when he's injured, he's afraid to to face that injury. And like his his uh, his manliness, his like you know kind of blunt, uh, 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 good old boy refusal to to see his doctor, is is just all out of his own terror. And same with the Robert Duvall. Like his his withdrawal from the world is is all out of fear. So yeah, then, I, don't, I don't I don't know of any of any like big budget American action film that is so is so obsessed with with the 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 the, the compensation yeah the male overcompensation and, and fears that 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 kind of defined the nineteen eighties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but it's not. But it's also it's also uh, the kind of movie where they have to explain what what drafting is, right. as if it's like this brand new maneuver that nobody has ever thought of before until Tom Cruise tries it in a race. Right. Yeah. No. I I, I, I love that part, and and that's one of the things is you know this is one of those movies where you, the kicks you get out of it are are seeing these like these obvious. The, you know things embedded in the plot and waiting mm -hmm. for the payoff like knowing the payoff is coming and it's like oh i can't wait until he drafts during the final race and then you know and then he goes on the inside track instead of the outside <laughs> you know those kinds of things are just they're just too goofy yeah and, there, and there's some, some of, fascinating game theory in his strategizing in the in the climactic race isn't there yeah he thinks i'm gonna go this way so i'm gonna go and that way go that way <laughs> Um, Whoa! <laughs> my favorite, my favorite, uh, uh, you know, little treat that's that's embedded in the plot, just so that there's a payoff later, is this scene, total throwaway, totally abhorrent scene that you would not see in a movie nowadays, uh, mm -hmm. or maybe you would, I don't know. Um, but of of the guys getting pulled over, like they, they're on, sure. the, they're they're in their truck. Uh, their big flatbed truck with, you know, and they're drinking beers or whatever. And they get pulled over on the freeway by some cops. Uh, and one of them is a, is a female cop who throws Tom Cruise up against the back of the truck and starts frisking him. And he's terrified uh, until she like reaches in and like grabs his, you know, uh, genitalia as it were, uh, <laughs> and starts, you know, and it's clear that she's like a stripper or she's been hired by these guys to, you know, she like rips off her shirt or whatever. And the only reason they do that, <laughs> the only reason that part comes up in the movie is so that later when Tom Cruise is in the hospital, he, he suspects that Nicole Kidman, the attractive doctor is like a stripper. <laughs> and then he like, it's just the weirdest uh it's the weirdest setup for like the like the most pointless payoff I've ever seen in a movie. It's just ridiculous. Um 
Yeah, it's it's bad. It's really bad. It's so yeah. it's so bad. Like there was like <laughs> no point to that scene. But anyway, um, what what did you think of Nicole Kidman? This was this was her her breakthrough in America. You know, she really looked like um, the current actress Nicole Kidman. Like it was kind of eerie. She kind of looked like I, I they have I think they spell their name the same too. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of confusing at first because I was like, well, there's that current Nicole Kidman. This isn't her. Um, that's a little jab because Nicole Kidman uh, has kind of she kind of scares me now. She's really? Kind of, yeah, she's kind of terrifying. You ever see her nowadays? I haven't seen her in a movie in a while, but like I see her like award shows or whatever, and she's all shiny and kind of like she doesn't look like she doesn't have the same face that she does in this movie. Yeah, well, she's she's going through the the things that actresses go through in their forties. I know that's you know, and it, it's it's a sad state of affairs for the whole world. And but but yeah. uh, Nicole Kidman, you know, like and she's using her accent here, mm-hmm. you know, she's a little more genuine here. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. This is the movie where they got they hooked up, right? This is yeah, the this, relationship this, this was where they met. Uh, I don't I don't know if this was her first American film. I think she had done uh, some other stuff first, but. Um, I don't know. Is Dead Calm? Was that an American film or is that Australian? I'm not sure. Uh, the oh, Billy Bathgate. <laughs> I think that might have been her first American film. There you go. Yeah. Um, Auspicious beginnings. Um, so. Oh no, that was that was that was after Days of Thunder. Hmm. Anyway, it's uh, it's not important. Uh, but uh, she's she's really good. She is really good. She's actually, you know, part of a, a secondary um, reason for the fact that I like the second half of this movie a lot more is that that's when she shows up. Mm-hmm. And her character is, you know, actually pretty interesting. And she's with she's she's got it all together. And she's, you know, she's smart. And she's, you know, she's she carries the weight of, um, of a lot of the, you know, drama in this movie because uh you know she's 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 talented she's an absolutely talented person she's the only smart person in the movie yeah everybody else is you know who's great though carrie elways yeah oh man (laughs) speaking of dumb as rocks oh what a great character i mean he shows up it the movie kind of uh fakes you out because it sets up this michael rooker rowdy burns um kind of competitive streak with him and tom cruise and so you think michael rooker is going to be the villain Right. Um, which I think is really interesting. And then it turns out like, oh, wait, there's actually this camaraderie between the two of them. And then Carrie always kind of <laughs> comes out of nowhere. I mean, literally out of nowhere. Uh, Randy Quaid shows up one day and is like, check out this new hot shot. And it's Carrie always wearing a Hardee's uh, jacket and uh, and being a total douchebag. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. So anyway. So this is the uh, the second episode in a row where we have talked about a Jerry Bruckheimer film. That's true. We're going to just do a progression. You know what we should do, actually? It, it, screw Jerry Bruckheimer. What we need to do is uh, next week, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, Far and Away. And we'll just work our way through the entire Cruise-Kidman. It, did they only do three movies together? Then yeah. one with Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah, I actually, I actually really like Far and Away. It's my favorite Ron Howard film. <laughs> well, until you see his Moby Dick. Yeah, Ron Howard's Moby Dick. I'm really looking forward to that. 
Uh, yeah, this is the second Bruckheimer. Uh, this is when he was still with uh, Don Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this this is much more of a Jerry Bruckheimer production than uh, um, Farewell, My Lovely, at least, you know, on the superficial level. Like this, this is a more uh, textbook Jerry Bruckheimer uh, yeah, this this is this is when you think of uh, Jerry Bruckheimer. This this is the kind of movie that that kind of made him, right? What he is, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so how do how do you think it fits in the in the Tom Cruise pantheon? Yeah, the, the, the Tom Cruise the, the the Tom Cruise progression. You know the the Tom Cruise character. What do you think of the Tom Cruise character? I guess I'm, we're going to talk about him more we'll later. We'll talk more about that later, yeah. Um, you know, I feel like this is, like you said, I think it does a couple of interesting things with the Tom Cruise character, like these little shades. It shades it in a little bit more, gives it a little, um, a different, in a slightly different light, which is interesting. But it also does feel like, let's do a, you know, Top Gun was airplanes, let's do me in a car. You know what I mean? Right, and I think I think I think it's interesting that he's not, you know, you, you in in Top Gun or something. He's like the 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 guy who like suffers. Uh, he's not the one who suffers here. He's like the friend of the guy that suffers. Right, and it's it's weird. He almost seems like like a bystander at time to at times to like the real psychological drama of the film. He does. He really does. He, he, uh, I wouldn't say he recedes because he's, he's definitely on screen, um, an awful lot, but, sure. um, but definitely he's like adjacent to the real dramatic, uh, stakes or whatever that are going on in this movie. He's, I mean, he's literally, literally a surrogate for Michael Rooker in the right. end of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like his, his role is to, is to help the Michael Rooker character as opposed right. to the, being the guy who is in need of help. As he is in in Top Gun, right? What I do like about the Tom Cruise character here, uh, I I like I like the limitations on 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 the character. I like this. I mean, it's so funny, but the, um, the scene where he admits to his uh, not knowing anything he, about cars, how dumb he is, <laughs> isn't that such a great scene? It where is. It is he very has funny. This, this blow up with Robert Duvall and they don't see eye to eye and he's not going to listen to his, you know, uh, you know, his ideas on how to, how to drive stock car racing or whatever. And then they meet up in a bar and Tom Cruise has this like heartfelt moment where he's like, I, I don't have the vocabulary to discuss. Cars yeah. It's, it's like the, I never learned to read speech. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And it, and it all comes after like a classic eighties montage scene where you have like the rock music playing over various races where, where Duvall is like screwing over Tom Cruise and the whole pit crew is laughing at him. Right. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, this is a, for me, this is just a three star movie. It, you know, um, I, I, I have no desire to, to watch it again. Um, yeah. I, 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 it, let me ask what? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, how do you feel about, um, well, twofold question here. Um, and I think we can dive into more of part one of this in a, a later on the show, but, um, what do you feel about, like, how do you feel about NASCAR? Like, does that interest you in any way? Like, do you find the scenes of actual racing exhilarating? And then two, um, in particular, do you feel here, uh, 
how do you feel about Tony Scott's filming of these uh, racing scenes? Uh, I like like uh, Cole Trickle. Know very little about cars. <laughs> I, I have at, at times in my life attempted to watch uh, NASCAR and and other kinds of car racing, other kinds of just racing in general. And I just it, I it, I just don't care. It, it takes it takes too long for anything dramatic to happen, and it it feels like just watching waiting for crashes. Right. So it's just it's not a sport that I I really appreciate. Although I you know I I recognize that there's great skill that that goes into it of course. Uh, as for the filming, I mean it's it's fine. This doesn't really feel to me like a Tony Scott film, at least not in the way that I liked. It's not it's not the Tony Scott that that I like. I like the the 21st century Tony Scott. Like the from like Man on Fire on like that is like the the most interesting Tony Scott to me. I like I like films from from throughout his career, but this one is. I think I think like the the dominant voices in this one are, are Tom Cruise and Jerry Bruckheimer and and not Tony Scott. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's fine. It looks fine. I think the the racing scenes are 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 ridiculous. All of the like the the bumping and and fighting that the cars right. do uh, doesn't at one point like uh, uh, Tom Cruise like drive into somebody taking a victory lap. Doesn't he do that? No, that's in Redline Seven Thousand. Is that in Redline Seven Thousand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's something like that. I don't know. They're all blurred yeah. together. I watched <laughs> them back to back. I literally yeah. watched them back to back. So <laughs> I, I could have, you know, I could have just the last 20 minutes, I could have just been talking about Redline 7000. I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, for me, I can't stand NASCAR. Yeah. I think it's so boring. I think it's so boring. And, um, and, and like you said, most racing in general, like going around in circles over and over again, it's just like, Oh God, I find it so boring. And so that's why I said earlier, the, um, the chase scenes or the, the action scenes that are not on the track in this movie, the wheelchair thing, the, the, the street car race and stuff. Sure. Those are, those to me are much more fun and exhilarating than just watching, uh, like, you know, two cars bang into each other as they go around a turn and then seeing like reaction shots of the drivers, um, is not, exciting to me whatsoever yeah i feel like they had to have the cars bang into each other more than the cars actually bang into each other uh right. in order to make it seem like there was action right uh i don't know i i i in the nascar races i have seen they were not that violent right <laughs> but you know to each their own yeah i understand i, I just you know it, when i found out daytona 500 actually meant 500 laps yeah I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not so much racing that I don't like. It's, it's long races. Yeah. Uh, something like the, the, the Tour de France or, or a marathon or something like that. You know, they're, they, they require great skill to do, and I can appreciate that, but I just don't want to watch it. It just takes too long. Oh, yeah. And there's oh. too, much, too much time where nothing happens. Uh, I I agree completely. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Plus, it's so loud. But it 
<laughs> anyway, uh, that's our discussion of Tony Scott's film. Uh, we're going to take a, a break. We're going to be listening to music throughout the show today, uh, you know, tying in with this whole car theme. Uh, at the beginning, we heard Jack Nietzsche's uh, The Last Race, um, which I think was a great opener. And what are we going to listen to uh, here now, Sean, as a uh, segue? This is uh, Dead Man's Curve by Jan and Dean. Groovy. Welcome back to the George Sanders show. Uh, it's been, like I said at the beginning of the show, five weeks since we've last recorded. Uh, I finished up my film noir month, saw a bunch of great movies, uh, had a really, really good time. Uh, and Sean, you've had now, you know, over a month to watch a bunch of different films. So let's play a little round of what's Sean watching. Not much. <laughs> Uh, I, wa- I watched a lot of Hoshashen movies for the, the series that was here uh, in, in Seattle. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but it was exhausting. And yeah. it, it took up like all of my time. Uh, and you haven't seen any of them. That's not true. I've seen, I've seen, well, I didn't see any of the ones that played here. That's, uh-huh. that is true. Yeah, yeah. that is true. Yeah. I, I, I apologize. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I mean, I could talk about those, but I don't really want to. Uh, I watched uh, a couple of Adam Curtis movies, which I would really like to talk about, but uh, is like impossible to talk about if you haven't seen them uh, and you haven't seen them. Uh, 
I, I just finished watching a bunch of Hal Hartley movies because Ned Rifle is opening today in Seattle, and I wanted to write about that for Seattle Screen Scene. And uh, again, you haven't seen any of those. Um, <laughs> how, so, do, how does how does what Sean watching always turn into what Mike's never seen? How does how does the game turn into that? You should watch more movies, is what <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, so what I'm gonna what I'm gonna talk about is is the one that that makes sense, and that is the the reason for for doing the show, which is which is Furious Seven. Which yes. uh, which I got to see uh, uh, last week, ten days ago at the uh, the the invitational screening of it, which was a lot of fun. Uh, got to see it with our friend Matt, who was really excited to be watching it and was really excited all through the film. It was it was a lot of fun watching him what, react were, were his, to it. Were his knees bouncing up and down like a yes ten year old boy? Awesome, that's yes. adorable. He 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 he. Uh, on a couple of occasions, was very close to to uh, leaping to his feet in applause. It oh. was it was adorable to watch. That's that is that is cute. <laughs> if you don't know Matt, if you don't know Matt, it's uh it's kind of hard to picture uh, him doing those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, How was the movie? The movie is is good it is a fast and the furious movie which which again you haven't seen so it's nope. it's kind of hard to describe like uh you you were were you at the metro when when the first one came out what year was that it was like 2002 maybe no. 2004 I started, I started i started 2004 so okay so that was like tokyo drift time i think <laughs> Uh, the age we can wait the age of Tokyo Drift. Uh, we can we can date movies by Fast and Furious films. Uh, when it, when the first one came out, it was it was uh, kind of like an obscure thing. Like we weren't expecting it to do any business. It didn't have any stars. It didn't have a big name director. Um, but it was it was like a huge hit, and and we were all very surprised, especially because there had been a a car racing movie. I think the previous summer with Sylvester Stallone that nobody went to see. Sort of like, nobody's going to go see this one with Vin Diesel. Is that even a real name? Uh, yeah. And then people did. And then they kept making more of them and they kept changing the formula for how the film is made, the the films, for the way the films work. And, and I didn't see any of them until just a, a couple of months ago. Um, I wanted to, to catch up. It's one of my, my two, uh, primary goals for for 2015 is was to watch all the Fast and the Furious movies and to watch all the Step Up movies, and I've I've now seen all the Fast and the Furious films, but only the first two Step Ups, Steps Up. Well, you've got uh, eight months. I think you'll make it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. There's only three left, so so I'm good. Yeah. Anyway, the 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 first one is is like this really kind of kind of low scale indie action movie about about car racing and it's just a, a an obvious point break ripoff like there's not even like attempting to hide the fact that it's a point break ripoff uh the second one uh doesn't have vin diesel and it's it's it moves to miami and it's it's goofy and and silly and colorful and it's a lot of fun the third one ditches all of the the cast entirely and goes to tokyo and introduces new characters and uh, it has a, a, a third director, uh, Justin Lin, who would go on to direct the next uh, three through six, I think he did. Uh, and that one is really good. It's probably the best of them. And then the, the fourth one reunites the original cast and is like is very serious. Uh, the fifth one, though, uh, takes it in an entirely new direction. 
it introduces The Rock, and it turns the movies into kind of Ocean's Eleven style, put together a team and have like international heists with cars. And each movie has then become bigger as they've gone on, uh, five, six, and seven. So seven's the biggest one yet with the most, you know, ridiculous over the top stunts. Uh, it's, it, it no longer bears any relation to actual reality as the first one tried to do. And the fourth one tried to do with like its, its psychology. Uh, it has one theme that it reiterates over and over and over again. And it's not even a compelling theme, but Vin Diesel takes it very seriously. <laughs> and that's that that uh, these these people are his family and family looks out for each other. It's not Damn even it, there's not even like a code. It's just a family bond. And that that is it for the psychological motivation of anything in the movies. The rest is just ridiculous, and this one's got Kurt Russell in it. So what, really? Oh, yeah. that's cute. And he's he's hilarious, uh, and Jason Statham and and Jaiman Honsu and the 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 plot the plots of the movies are are absurd, uh, but the stunts are really fun. They're really creative, uh, and I, they're movies that are worth watching. I think there's a, a a really weird critical debate around them, though. Like there there are people who there are critics who seem to like them because they think they're terrible and they think that it's fun to watch terrible movies. Mm-hmm. And there are critics who seem to think that there are other critics that think that the movies are really great. And then they either take the position that the movies are actually really great and then attempt to to argue that they are, or they condemn those critics for being, you know, insane. Uh-huh. But I think like the true fans of the Fast and the Furious movies know all of their flaws, but enjoy them anyway, not because they're terrible, but because there are good things in them that are valuable despite the bad things in them. Well, you just want to have a good time. Yeah, well, and and it's not it's not just that. It's like it a movie can I I think a movie can have bad acting and and bad plotting and bad dialogue and still be a movie that is worth watching because there are other elements in it that are really good. And I think sure. the the Fast and the Furious movies are an example of that. Like the acting is not good. There are some charismatic actors in the film. But that's not, you know, what you would call good acting. Right. Uh, there are some clever lines, but the, the scripts are pretty poor. Uh, but the stunts are, for the most part, really good, uh, really inventive, and really fun. And that is enough for me to think that a movie is good. Sure. But I don't think they're great. And I don't think, you know, they have anything to say about about cinema or about the world that we live in. So yeah, I don't know. I the the just just seeing people's discussion of it on Twitter. I'm not you know and and Letterbox and, and places like that. I'm not really seeing anybody articulate a position that really makes sense to me about these movies. Right. So I don't know. I, I maybe maybe. 
You're old and out of touch. Yeah, I mean, to me, like the best Fast and Furious movies, uh, to put a number on it, are like three and a half star movies. Sure. I hear you. I know exactly what that means. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. They're they're underrated and overrated at the same time. <laughs> they're they're the Ichiro of of action movies. There you go. You really want to talk about baseball, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> that was just one of my always one of my favorite lines about about Ichiro was that he was overrated and underrated at the same time. Yeah. Which is is very very true. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's what you've been watching. Well, thanks for the the history of the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise, Sean. Um, that's, maybe what? Yeah, that's know. what I think about the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> you know, get that out there. Yeah, I'll never talk about them again. At least until <laughs> until Fast Eight. I think you and Matt need to do a They Shot Pictures podcast on the Fast and Furious films. I think that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we haven't video, we haven't we haven't a video had video podcast because then I can see how giddy he gets. Like I can actually see the footage. There hasn't been a they shot pictures in like six months. Yeah, there was like the end of the year episode, but not an actual proper one. Uh, there, there's rumors that that uh, that our friend John is going to try and put together a Hal Hartley one, but uh, I'll believe it when I download it. Ooh, <laughs> that call to arms there, John. Yeah, y'all, y'all best get on that. Yeah, show Sean what's what. <laughs> well, speaking of people, uh, speaking of charismatic people like John, <laughs> let's talk about Tom Cruise, Maypother, uh, action star, film superstar, box office bonanza. Scientology, uh, Thetan machine, Tom Cruise. <laughs> I'm gonna put that on the next DVD that comes out of his. Whatever I just said. Uh, yeah, Tom Cruise is the uh, person of the show this week. Um, uh, obviously, tying in with Days of Thunder, and uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, he's the most successful movie star of the last three decades. I mean, consistently, the guy's never really taken a tumble uh, from the top of the box office charts. There, um, yeah, since since nineteen eighty three, he's he's been he's been great. He's been there, you know. I mean, uh, what, he had that movie, the the one that they kept changing the name of because uh, they were scared about marketing it. Um, you know what the hell is that movie called? Um, I, I can only think of the name they changed it to. Live, Die, Repeat. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow, right? Oh, yeah, that yeah. was like an accidental mistitling. I don't think so. Yeah. It seemed pretty blatant to me. Yeah. Um, but that movie, you know, that, that came out last year, and that was a, a pretty big hit, and he's still doing his stuff. I mean, the guy Yeah, is... his, his last decade has been has been rougher, but he's he's still done done good stuff. Yeah, I mean, that did 100... I'm looking at Box Office Mojo. I mean, that did 100 million. I mean, that's nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah, and you know? Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is, is pretty good. That movie's great. Yeah, it's, it's, I like that it's movie. It's okay. I like that movie a lot. It's yeah. the only Mission Impossible movie I've seen, though, so I can't really judge it based on uh, that. You should, you should see the, the first two. They're really good. Uh, yeah, maybe one of these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's also had some pretty big missteps. He did that Rock of Ages movie recently. Yeah, that might be the worst movie of the century. 
Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, it's because really, I have a life, but it's really bad. <laughs> I hated that, that movie. That? Adam Shankman. Yep. Nice. Shankman. Shankman. Good old. Shankman. <laughs> Never trust a man named Shankman. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's he's that, but but he bounces back. That's the thing about Tom Cruise is that he's, you know, unlike fellow Scientologist, um, uh, good old John Travolta who has these really, you know, these hills and, and valleys in his career where he's huge for like five years and then will go through this, you know, horrible stretch of just bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. And then he has these resurgences. Uh, Tom Cruise has never really felt that. He's been very steady. He, um, he generally has really good, good taste in the, in the kinds of films that, that he does. And he, well, and he also works almost exclusively in a wheelhouse a very you know in his he plays to his own strengths well he's he's done he's done some some really interesting work as an actor kind of of stretching away from his his movie star persona i mean obviously in in eyes wide shut and magnolia absolutely um but even even you know stuff like uh minority report or or and war of the worlds are are unusual films for for a character like him there's 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 more darkness to them there's more he's he's uh yeah i don't know i really like tom cruise i've always really liked tom cruise i i think he's he's terrific uh yeah i think i think as a screen presence he's he's very good and and like you said there are those movies that um I think really work, and it's not like they they work in spite of Tom Cruise, like Minority Report or or Magnolia. Magnolia um, is my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It's I think it's really really bloated, but I think he's yeah. like the best thing in that movie. I mean, yeah. he really he's really he's really really good in that movie. Um, and, yeah, and, uh, for me, for me, Julianne Moore kind of ruins Magnolia. Um, anything anything without her character in it like if you just cut that character uh, out or or down a lot or if she just like dialed it down to like nine instead of 15 right. um i need I, to rewatch I, it I it's been a long really time but uh but i mean i i pretty much exclusively love every paul thomas anderson movie and that movie i i like from a distance but uh but anyway Tom i think i think eyes wide shut i think is his best movie i think it's his best performance also yeah, that's another one I need to rewatch because I, I saw it in the theater when it came out in '99, and I haven't oh, wow. seen it since. Oh, so, so you've never seen the the uncut version? I've no, I've only seen the digitally inserted. Uh, uh, like shadows and statuary to to hide the boobs. No, the best part. I mean, if I remember correctly, is they there's they digitally inserted. Um, they still inserted naked people, but they inserted like people from the back. So it's just like their bare butt, mm-hmm. um, blocking and stuff, but it's like the, the, the scale is totally off and Oh God, it's it Yeah. So that's the only version I've seen. I still liked it though. You should, you really should see eyes watch out. It's, it's Nicole Kidman's best, best performance too. Like she, she's amazing in that. See, even when I've seen a movie, you tell me that I should see it. That's not fair. Well, you um, should see no, it. I, well, you should see it again. I know. Well, I do want to see. That's it what I mean. Okay. <laughs> you need to uh, watch more movies. It's been five weeks of not, not shaming Mike. You know, mm-hmm. Sean. Yes. 
I've been trying to convince the wife of the, uh, you know, the Sean Gilman game plan here mm. of being a stay-at-home dad. Mm. Uh, but uh, You have to actually have a kid for that to work. I know. Well, that's that's a bridge too far. <laughs> um, but you know, anyway, um, I you know, I just watched I watched thirty two noir films in the month of March. So you know, yeah, cut me some slack here. Have you seen Born on the Fourth of July? I've not seen Born on the Fourth of July. Neither have I. Oh, okay. That's the like that's like the one big Tom Cruise movie that I haven't seen yet. Although you know, I did. I did think when I, when the wheelchair race happened in Redline. I mean, see, I'm already confusing the two. In Days of Thunder, I was like, "Hey, you know, Michael Rooker's kind of got handicapped here because uh, Tom Cruise already knows how to run these wheelchairs from Born on the Fourth of July." You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's very true. He he had he had wheelchair experience. He did. It was a little unfair, yeah. if I must say so myself. Uh, no, I have not seen that one. Um, yeah, so I, I have nothing to say about it. The the thing that I find really uh, one of the the things that I I find really interesting about Tom Cruise is just how long his career has been. And you kind of touched on that. It's it's for for thirty over thirty years now. He's been like a top star, and there are very few actors in film history who can say that. It's insane. Like uh, uh, Cary Grant, James Stewart. Uh, John Wayne. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Yeah, it's 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 pretty nuts. I mean, a, a lot. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of actors have very long careers, but there are there are only a handful that have been top stars for for that long. Yeah, and uh, I mean, huh. he releases a movie a year, and it's and it's usually in you know in the running for you know the one of the more popular films of the year and yeah absolutely and it's and it's usually pretty good yeah you know usually usually <laughs> not always not always but uh usually um i was gonna ask you i'm looking at his filmography and i totally blanked on what question i was gonna ask you hmm. um oh oh no it wasn't gonna be a question um <laughs> I remember, I don't know if I've told this story before on the show, um, but talking about the quality of, of Tom Cruise's uh, body of work, uh, you and I were, were at the Metro uh, Cinema when we used to work there, and we were talking to another staff member there, and we were, you and I were kind of making a united front for making the case that uh, Seven Samurai is the greatest movie of all time. Right. And this guy was listening to us for... Like a good five, ten minutes or so. Fifteen uh, minutes at least. Yeah. We were really going into it. And we're like, no, th- it's good because of this and this and this and this. And, and he I was guess appalled. Some... He couldn't understand it. Really? Seven Samurai? Why? <laughs> and, and and then it turned out he thought we were talking about The Last Samurai, yeah. which, is, which is not a Tom Cruise film I, I have not seen. Yeah. I um, seen that. But I remember his reaction. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't completely uh he was he wasn't completely blown away by the, by the assertion that we thought the last samurai was the best he he was like it was pretty good um, so he so he was willing to make that leap um you know so anyway as a, as apropos of nothing but uh i i always remember that moment and be like oh my god did you really 
no, sorry. Anyway. So you you uh, uh, disassociated yourself from Beck when he became a Scientologist. Uh, you have not done the same with, with Tom Cruise? Uh, I think Scientology is horrible and evil and totally ruins lives and uh, should be, you know, shamed for all of the stuff that it does. Um, I don't, I, I, I distance myself from Beck and Scientology, um, not because he became a Scientologist, but coincidentally, the time that he became an outspoken Scientologist, his music turned to shit. Like, that's my problem with him. Like, if he was still putting out albums like Midnight Vultures, I'd be fine with it. I'd be like, okay, whatever. I mean, there are tons of people whose political or religious or whatever views I disagree with completely. Um, but they still, if they still do good work, I'll appreciate the work, you know, but Beck has not done anything interesting since at least 2002. And that coincidentally is the time where it kind of came to light that he, you know, is a Scientologist or whatever, but, um, Jesus, man, guy makes terrible music nowadays. Um, so that's my problem. If Tom Cruise, you know, if Tom Cruise was just starring in rock of ages, you know, then yeah, I'd write him off. <laughs> no problem. So fair enough. I just wanted to make that, that point clear. I have no opinion on Scientology. I don't know anything about it. Well, I've read, uh, Lawrence Wright's book, the one that just became a documentary on HBO. I haven't seen right, the documentary, the, but the Alex Gibney film. Yeah. But, uh, the, the New Yorker writer, um, who wrote the, the, the book and I've read a, a few, you know, um, exposés or whatever, and it's a horrible, evil cult and should be stopped. But, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever you do in your personal life, if it doesn't hurt other people or affect other people, um, that's fine. Scientology does, but, um, you know, but if you make a good movie, I'll watch a good movie, you know, John Wayne. I mean, we talked about John Wayne before. Sure. I mean, John Wayne, that dude sucked. Like, I mean, in his personal life, hey, no way. But hey, that guy's a great, great movie star, you know? So, anyway. Right. So, with that, we're going to talk about uh, Cars. Uh, probably not the Pixar film Cars or its attendant sequel, Cars 2. Um, but we're going to pick our essential car movie um, at this point. Um, What's your what's your pick? Well, my pick is not the essential car movie. I'm I'm going to let it out there. Um, and it actually it it good segue by the way, bringing Beck into this um, <laughs> because uh, I'm I'm actually selecting a little scene film uh, from 1994 called Kill the Moonlight, uh, which is directed by Steve Hampt, who uh, was involved in the same kind of uh, fluxus like anti-folk um early 90s late 80s kind of la weirdo art scene that beck was a part of uh when he was first starting out um they played in a band together called loser um and uh this is pre beck you know doing anything before this is pre loser uh beck and um kill the moonlight is steve hans kind of like magnum op opus and uh, Hanf directed a bunch of Beck videos. He did the all the stuff for Mellow Gold, Beer Can, you know, um, Pay No Mind, Loser, and he did some stuff on Odelay. Directed those videos, but uh, Kill the Moonlight is a very low budget comedy about a guy named Chance who uh, works at a fit, fish hatchery, um, and he's just this kind of stringy haired rocker dude who just wants to race cars. Um, 
and his goal in life is to 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 get this Camaro and just be a race car driver. And even though most people have not seen the movie, they've heard the sample um, from the film. Uh, I'm a driver. I'm a winner. Things are going to change. I can feel it, uh, which is used obviously in Beck's song "Loser." Um, and it's really interesting to watch "Kill the Moonlight" and be a Beck fan because. I don't know if it's because they were just part of the same scene um, or the fact that Hanf directed Beck's videos and some of the you know style kind of rubbed off on him. But um, it's like, an, ex- it's like a, an extension of that whole kind of aesthetic that Beck was doing back in, back in the day. Um, the, the sculpture that's on the cover of Mellow Gold it actually shows up in one shot in this movie. And it's just a really goofy, low-key very weird comedy um that it's it's fun it's it's a fun little film that's totally idiosyncratic it's not the best movie in the world it's not death proof which is my go-to car movie because i think it's amazing and and the best tarantino movie and all that stuff but we i've talked about that before um but Kill the Moonlight is uh, it's super fun, and it's got a really great soundtrack, um, which it does feature some early Beck stuff, uh, Leave Me on the Moon, um, and, and some other really, really cool songs in it. So if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. I have not seen that. Boom, sucker! <laughs> pick for the essential car film there, Sean. Uh, my pick is the original uh, 1974 Gone in 60 Seconds which I think is is one of the very best action movies ever. It is amazing. It is almost entirely devoted to car chases. There is uh, the, the barest sketch of a plot. Uh, it's made uh, by a stuntman uh, named H.B. Halicki, uh, and he wanted to make a movie to show off car stunts, so he got a bunch of other stuntmen, and they did a bunch of crazy car chases including one that lasts for like 45 minutes and and that is like the entirety of the last half of the film uh there's there's a kind of a plot there's like a a ring of car thieves but there's there's almost no actual like dialogue scenes in the film there's like shots of of actors doing stuff and then there's like dialogue exchanges as like voiceover over the acting like like it all had to be be post-dubbed and so so most of of the dialogue was recorded after the fact mm. uh so you know uh, speaking of uh of acting there's there's very little of what you would call acting in the movie but the the car races the car chases the the stunts are just amazing yeah that's you know, Gary, shame me again. One that I have not seen that I really want to. A lot of those. Well, that, that's that's one that I had wanted to that I suggested for for this week's episode because it's it's a it's a very clear influence I think on the Fast and the Furious films. But but we tried to to pick movies that I hadn't seen or haven't right. seen in a really long time. So right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that's definitely one that's on my watch list, and I need to check it out. Yeah, I have not seen the the Nicolas Cage remake. I also haven't seen H.B. Uh, Halicki did a, a follow-up movie that uh, is apparently even better, but I haven't seen it yet. So, What's that one called? I don't know. Nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, let's, let's just keep this uh, stock car moving uh, to lap you know, 474 here um, by 
listening to a clip from uh, our second film of this this show, uh, Howard Hawks's Red Line Seven Thousand. It's called it's called the Junk Man. The Junk Man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm intrigued. There. <laughs> what the hell is Mike trying to do? What a, what a battle, battle between Mike Marsh and car number twenty-eight and Dan McCall in the twenty-one car. They're both flat out. Full bore. These motors must be talking. What's he doing? I think he's trying to kill him. And their lead over the field is almost a full lap. Look at these two go. Only splitting the pass a slower car. That's Marsh. He's right back beside McCall. They're running closer and closer. Now they're going through turn four. Coming out on the straightaway. Now they're only inches apart. When they get into the far turn, someone's going to have to give way. And that's me. They can't get through the turn together. Which one gets way? Watch it now. The turn's coming up. Watch it. So coming, uh, what, 25 years before Days of Thunder is another film set in the world of NASCAR that also features Richard Petty. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Uh, it's, uh, it's Howard Hawks' 1965 film Redline 7000, uh, and it is an unusual film. And it's, it's I, I, feel, I feel almost... Uh, unqualified to talk about it because the condition it exists in is is far from ideal uh i don't know that there is a copy of it in its proper aspect ratio on video anywhere i think uh what we saw was like a vhs version of it that was very desaturated and and cropped to 133 um but we're going to talk about it anyway because <laughs> because it's because it's getting late and that's what we what we're going to do. Uh, so the the other Howard Hawks film that we did that we've talked about on the show before was what was it about a year ago. Uh, we talked about Hatari, yeah, which uh, is uh, along with uh, 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 Man's Favorite Sport were the the three films he made in succession in the mid nineteen sixties. And uh, Redline Seven Thousand feels a lot like like Hatari to me. Although, when we watched that film, uh, I was convinced it was one of like the greatest films ever. Like when I finished watching Hatari, I, I feel like there is no movie that could be better than Hatari. When I watched Redline Seven Thousand, I'm like, uh, that was pretty good, but there's you know. It's got some issues. Uh, it has even less plot than that film. It is basically about three race car drivers and three women who, and their relationship with three women. 
and and that is it. There is no not like uh, uh, Days of Thunder, which has like this these like competitive elements grafted onto it, or like life threatening melodrama, or a villainous Carrie Elways. There's not any of that in Redline Seven Thousand. The race scenes are just kind of punctuate the actual narrative of the film, which is about these three relationships, and they're very similar in that way to the uh, the hunting sequences in Hatari. Which uh, which similarly kind of divide up the narrative, but Hatari had like this this structure, this season long uh, hunt, and it had the the woman who joins the group, and she's the outsider, and she's getting introduced to everyone, and she's there for a limited time, and you know there's a progression to the narrative in a way that that Redline Seven Thousand just kind of well it kind of goes around in circles. <laughs> uh, it's got it. It uh, it famously had uh, what what Hawks Halt called a uh, an inadequate cast. Uh, I, I believe in in his interview with Peter Bogdanovich, he said that there were only two of his actors who could actually act. Uh, the rest were not uh, uh, up to his standards. Uh, James Caan is really the only the only name in the film, other than uh, George Takei, who, George Takei. Who, who plays a bit part and and is 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 fine. Uh, the, the women are all very pretty. The men are all very, very manly. Uh, and then, and stuff happens. So I don't know. Uh, I, I know that you did not like this. You mentioned it earlier. You, you mentioned on, on Letterboxd, you gave it only two stars, which is, which is, uh, blasphemous for a Howard Hawks film. Uh, I liked it. Yes, you did. And I and you just I mean, you just literally I mean, I don't know how much more I have to add because you you basically brought up all of my complaints against this movie. Um, and I guess they just didn't mean as much. It didn't affect you as much. But like um, like, the, first of all, going to Hawks's own criticism of this movie, um, the actors are terrible in this movie, like mm. almost across the board, like mm. um no, seriously, like at this movie, it, and then it makes the like the thing about Hatari or something like Real Bravo is you know they're they're all kind of hangout movies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's kind of you know the later period Hawks movies are that's what they're they're about. But when all of the characters, like when the actors portraying characters are are not good actors, and then the characters themselves are just kind of bland, the the difference between. Uh, like I think that's the, what the make the, what makes or breaks one of these kinds of pictures um, because you're right the the disparate the kind of superficial elements are kind of the same but I was bored like through like the whole thing of this movie and part of it is the guy characters besides James Con like I I didn't realize that <laughs> like. There are two other guys, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. but like they're so bland. Like I couldn't remember who was who the whole movie. Like I was like, "Wait, what? Who's? Why is this?" You know? Really? Um, yeah. Um, and the movie is um, there. There's a couple. There's a couple of moments that are interesting. Like from a cinematic standpoint, I really like. Um, there's a shot early on in the film where they're watching uh, the, the it's very similar to um, Days of Thunder, where uh, this hotshot guy comes out of nowhere and he, and he needs to prove himself on the track or whatever. So they sure. let him use a car uh, and he rides around the track. And Hawks does a really interesting thing 
with the camera, which is kind of interesting for Howard Hawks because he's so known for not doing flashy stuff with the camera. Um, but the, the camera does is, is the reaction shots of the people that are in the middle of the racetrack, you know, James Kahn and uh, George Takei's there, I think. And, and, you know, some of these other people, um, the camera is moving along the track. Like it's going in like this circular motion around them as they're watching this guy, which is, really interesting and really cool um unfortunately and like you said part of it i think is the transfer i think it's 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 it, i mean yeah it's a really bad dubbed vhs kind of thing um but even the filmmaking like this movie feels clunky which is like the last thing i would expect from howard hawks like the what like even just like the edits of this movie um like these one, two shots of characters having a conversation are really lazy. And, um, I could just not get on board with this movie at all. I really could not. Uh, I think, I think it's, uh, I think it ends in a, in a really unusual way. Like, like some of like the, the, the resolutions to, to at least one of the relationships is really not a resolution. And it feels very strange. Like it feels like there's a scene missing, or that there should have been something else. But I, you know, I, I think that might be intentional, also, because uh, that relationship just isn't going to work. Uh, I, I don't have any problem telling the the two men apart. Like they're so they're so different. The two non James Con guys. There's there's Ned, who was the young hotshot uh, misogynist who. Uh, uh, cheats on the the pretty blonde girl, and then there's there's Dan, who is the uh, the older, uh, very confident, very kind of self assured, uh, more typical Hoxian hero. Uh, wait, no, 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 wait, wait. Which one? You're not talking about the brother guy, right? No, no, he's he's not a, a main character. He doesn't have a relationship. The three drivers. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. See, I can't even keep track of them now because it's like, what? I Dan, don't is, Dan is the one that brings the French girl, and then they break up, and he starts dating the right. the girl that we meet in the beginning. Right. Yeah, who had just come there. Like 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 Jean Arthur, she she just shows up in this world and gets a job in the bar. Like Jean Arthur in, in Only Angels Have Wings, kind of doing the uh, the Howard Hawks woman thing. I think I think she is not a good actress like she's she's, she's she's really the only performance that that uh that kind of bothered me i think her the, the guy who plays yeah her voice is is weird like it sounds like weirdly post-dubbed um especially when she's singing it sounded very very odd i think the guy who plays dan is a little too bland i think i think with a better actor in that part you kind of uh uh, see him as more more integral to to the way the the, the film is constructed. And uh, Robin Wood has a, an interesting theory about the film, which is that uh, the kind of typical Hoxian hero, like the the John T. Chance character that John Wayne plays in in Rio Bravo, uh, he he sees uh, uh, the the James Caan character and the the Dan character in this film as being like two sides of that typical. Hawk's hero, where uh, Khan gets all the neurosis and Dan gets all of like the 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 calm, confident maturity, uh, which I, I is is really interesting and explains a lot of what is really fascinating about the James Khan character. I think it's a really weird performance for James Khan 
and I actually, I really, really like it. I mean, I mean, he's he seems like he's doing the James Dean impression a lot of time. He's speaking in like this mumbly monotone, which is not like the James Con that we know at all. But I, I found him fascinating. I thought he just seemed bored. Like, I mean, really, I did. I was just, I just, there's not much. Well, that, like, that's kind of like the affect of the of the character. He's just, he's so withdrawn from from everything yeah i just i don't i don't know couldn't but connect. like but like right away he he hooked me when when he meets the this girl um uh uh, uh what's her name holly has has shown up uh to meet another driver who has just died in a race and he kind of takes care of her and kind of ushers her into into this world where they all live in a holiday inn because it's the 60s and and that's where championship race car drivers lived uh, uh, and he's just, he's so even keeled about it. He, he never raises his voice. He's just, it's, it's a really weird affect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I didn't find it like he was bored so much as it, it made me kind of want to understand the character more. Yeah. It made, it yeah. made him distinct. Well, me. I mean, and then he, as he as he breaks down late in the film, it's just it's really interesting. Yeah, I I, I didn't find it. I didn't find the that part. I mean, he's I, I'll give you. I mean, he's the he, you know, he's the actor whose name we know for a reason. Like he's mm-hmm. he's definitely the best screen presence in the movie, and he definitely modulates his performance better than anybody else. Um, but. You know, by the time like by the time he's, you know, becomes this jealous guy and and smacks the woman and then and then they still fall in love or whatever. (laughs) Um, It's too little too late. It's like it just it's just yeah, I just I couldn't. I really wanted to. I mean, you know, I, you know, it's it's silly to say so and so is my favorite director. So, you know, whatever. Um, But, you know, my go to answer, like Seven Samurai is my go to favorite film of all time or whatever. Mm Uh, is Howard Hawks. I mean, I just watched over uh, for Film Noir Month. The one movie I watched, I rewatched, was uh, Big Sleep. I, you know, it was playing on the big screen locally, and I was like, well, I have to go see it. And that movie, I mean, I, you know, I, that movie works like gangbusters. Like every element of that movie. Uh, this is the first time I've, I've read the book. I'd, I'd, I'd seen it like three or four times. This is the first time, like the plot made sense to me. <laughs> like I could follow the whole thing, but, um, but that movie is so vibrant and there's so much going on. And, and, um, you know, there are, there are tons of characters that it gets really confusing, but it's part of the whole milieu of the whole, you know, Chandler thing. Um, and, and that to me is, is just, light years ahead of what's going on here and 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 it's really sad for me to watch a movie like i was really excited like because hatari is what the year before this and i think hatari's hatari's fantastic like i think that movie's really good and so i was like and and you know i'm not i'm not going to tell you that that this movie is as good as the big sleep uh obviously i mean they're well for one thing they're they're very different kinds well, of movies in, in their approach to filmmaking but yeah i mean it's not as good as satari it's not anywhere near as good as satari I, I yeah it, but but for me it's it's not even a matter of like as good it's mm-hmm. like it's like watching this i'm like this isn't the same guy like they're like this is to me a total misfire no like, it's 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 the same thing it's just it's just not 
quite well enough. done. <laughs> it, it is. It is. No, it is well it's done. Not. It's it's no. it's there. No, it's not. It like like I I see that the superficial Hoxian elements of whatever mm -hmm. like and there's things that I appreciate. I'll give you like you know I love the the woman run uh west restaurant like i think mm -hmm. you know the that's an interesting thing and and the one woman who's not like in a relationship she's just kind of the owner of the restaurant um like cool that's cool i but, think I, he just got unlucky with the casting i think i well that's why I, that's why that was my first point was uh, with with describing this is that well and I, and I wouldn't say that they're terrible it's just that they're not they're so bland yeah they're not they're not gene arthur they're not John uh, Wayne. They're, they're not, not Dean Lauren, Martin. They're not they're... Lauren Bacall. They're not, you know, they're just average. Well, and that, and, and I, and, and like I said, I think that that is the make or break with, uh, with like a later Hoxian film is you need, you need a red buttons. You need a red skeleton. Who's in the Hotari? It's red, it's red skeleton. Red buttons. Red buttons. <laughs> red. Who, who, who's named red? Um, you need, you need these. Uh, yeah. But I mean, even like the, you know the the no name actors in in Hatari are are really good, and I don't know if it's that you know Hawks just lost interest in this, or he just decided that these actors just weren't worth you know making good. Uh, uh, he 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 told uh, Bogdanovich that he just that he just lost interest in the film, that he just decided it wasn't working, so he just you know quit paying attention and went off to to remake Rio Bravo. Hey, smart move. I uh, I don't know that that's entirely fair to me. I think the movie is better than than Hawks thinks it is. I I side with Howard. Hawks. <laughs> I'm taking Howard Hawks' side on this. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I I tried to watch it through like you know uh, an auteurist kind of lens and and be like, oh, you know, here's the and it just I couldn't keep up with it. I just really. I, I couldn't sustain that level of interest in it. Yeah, and I think I think that 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 brings up a, a really interesting point about the way the way auteurists watch movies, uh, and for for you know a, a a devotee of of the auteur theory, the the it often seems like the mere fact that a film is recognizably a Howard Hawks film because it has, you know, similar characters or, or lines or, or situations. Um, that in and of itself is enough to make a movie enjoyable. Right. Which uh, is a difficult thing to grasp, I think, if you're not an auteurist. Because it's, and it's a difficult thing to defend because it's not like, you know, just because a director is repeating herself does not make her movie good. Right. Like, but, yeah. but the, the whole point of auteurism is, is that the director is, uh, that the, the fact that the director is uh, expressing their personality through their film is itself a, a criterion of value. Well, Which sure, means that that's if, fine, but... yeah, if you're doing a Howard Hawksian thing, then it's a Howard Hawks film, and that act of personal expression is valuable. Sure, but it still doesn't make it a good movie. Like, um... well, and then you get into like the question: What does it mean to be a good movie? And what yeah. do, what what do, what do you talk about when you talk about a good movie? Well, and I can't I, believe I, I just actually used that phrase. <laughs> when I, when I I'm so ashamed. You know, you're, you're <laughs> 
you know, when I, when I watch a movie and uh, and I and I have the that whole thing swirling around in my head as I'm going into it and and I'm uh, giddily excited about watching a Howard Hawks movie and then I'm like pulling out my hair waiting for it to end. I mean, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't I wasn't like that, but you know, when I'm just bored it's not a good movie. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I didn't have a good time watching this movie. So, you know, but, um, yeah, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> He's got so many great movies. It's okay. He you does. Know? I mean, and, and I, like, and I have, uh, I, I have a Howard Hawks list and this is, I, I put it at, at 20 out of 28, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I looked at your list and I, I don't have it in front of me, but, uh, gentlemen prefer blondes is better than this movie. Uh, Sean Gilman, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, uh, you're... Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. so it's, it's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm, you know, talk I'm about not... bad acting. Jennifer, gentlemen prefer blondes has some terrible acting. Marilyn Monroe is a great actress. And yeah, anybody that and says that she isn't, she's isn't... the only one in that movie <laughs> doing a, a good job. Well, she carries it, man. Yeah, I, I think she's great. I think she's really, really good. Um, you get no argument you know, and, from me I'm there. I'm not gonna, you know, like I'm not gonna write off Howard Hawks now or something like that. Well, no. You know what I mean? Well, like, but um, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm sad to say that uh, this movie kind of sucks. And Howard Hawks is right. He's right. So no, it's listen. pretty. It's pretty good. It should be uh, uh, restored and released in a nice edition so that I can watch. That it would be it, nice. That glory. would be nice. Um, I'll, I'll say that much. Well, we're going to take another break here, uh, our last break, and we're going to listen to a song uh, that my friend Adam turned me on to years and years and years and years and years ago. Um, I have I have it on like a mixtape um, from high school. Um, and this is a goofy little song from the Pastels called Speedway Star.
All right, uh, that is our show for this week. We will actually be back next week as we try and get back on the schedule wherein we record a show on Mike's day off. Uh, so, yes, please. Uh, uh, next weekend, uh, we will be talking about uh, Lissandro Alonso's Hauha, uh, which is opening in Seattle um, on the 17th. And along with that, we're going to watch a... Uh, Along with that uh, Argentinian film, we are going to watch a film by a Chilean director because Argentina is close to Chile. Uh, we're going to go with uh, uh, Raul Ruiz's Three Crowns of the Sailor, which sounds really cool. I haven't seen any of, of Ruiz's 80s films, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, and you haven't seen any Ruiz. Nope. So that should be a fun one. Yeah, I th- I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I remember you, you've seen how uh, you saw that at Vancouver last year yes. uh, and, and you uh, whetted my appetite. It sounds like it's going to be really good. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it was one of my favorite movies of last year and I'm, I'm really looking forward to revisiting it this week. That's great. Well, uh, between now and then, uh, and actually continuing on long past that, uh, the great Stanford theater, um, in Palo Alto, California, uh, is doing a couple of great series right now, and they're running um, for a while. I mean, it, into into May. Um, on Wednesdays and Thursdays, they're doing double features of Ernst Lubitsch and Ruben Mamoulian films. Um, and then on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're doing double features of Cary Grant films. Um, coming up, some of the stuff you got coming up, Philadelphia stories coming up, his girl Friday's coming up. Speaking of Howard Hawks, uh, I'm no angel previous, uh, George Sanders show film, uh, in, in, the, this Cary Grant series. And then on, you know, during the week they're doing trouble in paradise, uh, designed for living. We live again, Mary widow. I mean, all this, uh, I mean, that sounds just like a blast. Yes. So go check those out. Stanford Theater, Palo Alto. Uh, both those series are running into the end of May. So, yeah, super, super good stuff. Right on. Uh, as as uh, I briefly mentioned earlier, well, we just had the, the Ho Shao Shen retrospective here. Uh, finally made it to Seattle. I think I talked about it like six months ago when it, when it first started in New York and was complaining that it wasn't going to come to Seattle. And then it did, sort of. Uh, so because that was cool. of your complaining. Yeah, absolutely, I'm sure. Uh, and just as that series ends, a, uh, a Chai Ming Liang retrospective is opening at the Museum of the Moving Image in New York. And it, I think it's a complete retrospective of, of Chai's films. Um, it, uh, the first one was today, and then it's, it's going to run for the next two weeks. Uh, so if you are in the New York area, you should be going to see the, the Chai Ming Long films. I really want to watch all of his movies in chronological order because I think that that will uh, be a really useful way of, of seeing them because, because he uses the same, the same actor and the same characters, I think, over and over again. And so to like see it, to kind of read it as a, a single narrative progression, I think would be a really interesting way of viewing them. And, and most people, when they, when they talk about um, Chai's movies, uh, kind of take them as, as isolated films. Uh, but this retrospective is not going in chronological order. And I'm not really sure why. But 
Well, unfortunately, Sean, you, you yeah. won't be able to watch those chronologically anyway because you have the obligation of watching all of the Step Up movies uh, prior to that. Yeah, that yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll get to try after I get to the the Step Up movies. Anyway, if if I had to recommend one film, if you haven't seen any of them, it would be uh, What Time Is It There, which is playing on uh, April twenty fourth. Uh, it's like from the middle of his series of films, and it's got Jean-Pierre Layot in it. Hey! Yeah. Have you seen any Chai? Nope. Yeah. Not a one. You should, <laughs> you should watch them. Maybe we'll watch one sometime for the show. Sure. We don't have any plans for the next, uh, the next, next show, so maybe we'll do it then. Uh, so... Between now and then, uh, you can find out more about the show. We did update the calendar, kind of, uh, on the georgesandershow.blogspot.com website. Uh, just click on the calendar link on the side of the page there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Show. We have an email account. At, it's uh, thegeorgesandershow at gmail.com. And we do most of our writing nowadays when we do our writing on seattlescreenscene.com. Other than that, I think that's about it. So uh, I'm going to get in my hot rod and uh, drive downstairs and take my dog out for a walk. So uh, here's George singing sweet lullabies to each and every one of you. Thanks again for listening to The George Sanders Show. Uh, It feels good to be back. Say something, Sean. (laughs) Bye. A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die